not that we can avoid suffering for the rest of our lives forever. No, that's not really how it works. But in the moment, in any moment, we can do a turn the mirror, turn the direction in so that we look inside and see what's actually arising in us, not in our minds and stories, but like what are the feelings, what's happening in the body and in the work that I do, like the attention to the body is really important because it's a barometer of what's actually happening and it's where feelings and stress shows up. So it's really good to be attuned to the body. And once we know what our in the moment experience really is and we're attuned to it with love and care and kindness and self-compassion, we can bring, you know, coping mechanisms or resources or ideas about how we can handle that moment. We can bring all of that to the moment. And then it's not a, a moment of suffering anymore. It's not like we're defining things by a problem or by, by what we don't have. There's just this great sense of uh, acknowledgement of what's going on and, and self-care. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am a father, a brother, a son, a leader, a lover, a friend, a master life coach. And I spend every single moment of my life helping people live a self-led life without alcohol. Clarity, compassion, empathy, curiosity. There is no point being someone who doesn't drink alcohol and continuing to be a right miserable bastard, okay? And that's what Strive's all about. It's about life after alcohol. Yes, we can help you quit alcohol, but more importantly, we want to help you build your rockets and fly to Mars once you stop drinking to be the most beautiful, amazing part of ah, the goodness of you. When the sperm at the egg and the zygote was formed, the perfectly imperfect version of you was already created. You don't have to become somebody else. You just need to chip away and remember who you are. And that's what we do at Strive, okay? Now, we do have a book, The Strive Method, Control Alcohol for 30 Days uh, Before It Controls You for 30 Years. And I'm going to read a chapter for you, chapter two. It's called The Hummingbird, Okay. Now imagine for one second that you are a black-chinned hummingbird called Harry and you spend most of your time in British Columbia in Canada migrating to Mexico in the winter. You don't need a map, you don't need an alarm. The fellow members of your charm don't have to remind you. Thanks to evolution, the map is imprinted into your DNA. And when the time comes, you and the rest of your charm will take flight and instincts will guide you thanks to your gene-based nervous system. Now imagine that one day, while sipping some honey, a crazy Canadian neuroscientist kidnaps you and puts a neocortex inside your skull. Nobody knows it's there. Not you, not your charm. The winter comes and you take flight with the rest of your hummingbird chums. Mexico, here we come. Only this time you feel a little bit odd. Midway through your flight, you feel a little hungry and spot in a flower bed full of golden nectar, you start your descent. The other charm members try to stop you as you deviate from your course. They ask you what you're doing, and you reply that curiosity and hunger have piqued your interest in a flower bed. You argue, and the charm members convince you to remain with them. As you fly away from the flower bed, an internal battle begins. You hear a voice in your head criticizing you for not visiting that flower bed. And this voice is fighting another that's telling you how weird you are for even thinking about going to the flower bed and leaving behind your charm. A few miles on, 
and the same thing happens again. A few miles on, and the same thing happens again. Curiosity keeps tugging you to investigate your surroundings, and eventually, tired and concerned over your disruptive behavior, your charm ostracizes you. You are no longer a member of the charm. You are alone. The neocortex came equipped with a nerve-based learning system, and that clashed with your gene-based nervous system, and nobody understood it. So nobody understood or accepted you. And here's the rub. As someone designed from birth to drink alcohol, you also belong to a charm. And these members, yourself included, are guided by the gene-based learning system regarding alcohol. As you go through the cycles of age, childhood, teenage years, early adulthood, you feel the powerful pull towards alcohol and you don't question it. It's just a part of your makeup. When Friday comes, it's time to party until Monday comes back into view. Your weekend is really Harry the Hummingbirds, Mexico. When you decide to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, the nerve-based learning system comes online. Piqued by curiosity and the desperate need to experiment, you try to stop drinking. The members of your charm react violently towards your decision. They mock you and they shame you into getting back on course. And as your curiosity rises, as does the din in your mind as you question the right course of action, there is a part of you that wants to remain in the charm at all costs. And this part wants you to drink alcohol and it criticizes you for not drinking, calling you weird and abnormal and threatening the life of eternal loneliness. And as the noise gets louder and louder, flanked by the charm's incessant chirping about the value of alcohol and the craziness of not drinking, you have inevitably succumb and you drink. The, the nerve-based learning system shuts down and the gene-based learning system kicks in. And before you know it, you've forgotten all about the idea of not drinking and you're back on course, safe and snug within the charm. So just for today, just for today after listening to this, Try detaching from the charm. Try detaching from your tribe and your mates. Follow your curiosity and experiment. Feel the power of being someone that doesn't drink alcohol. Don't allow the fear of the charm to pull you back in. And when your parts urge you to get back in line, speak to them and reassure them that everything will be okay if you don't drink. There are actually 7.8 billion people in this world and it's very unlikely that you'll be alone. If you want to buy the Strive Method um, book, it's $4.75. I can't think of a more cost-effective way of starting your journey of being someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And if you've already stopped and you stopped a long time ago, feedback that I've got from this book, that it is beautiful and it reaches you at all levels. So go check it out. Um, I haven't got the website set up yet, but if you buy it today, you're going to get your hands on $915 of free gifts in the form of training courses and workshops and stuff. So email me at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. Just simply saying, I want this book, and I will send you the free gifts and the link to buy the book. Okay? All right. On to our next guest, huh? So... This is a repeat guest. Her name is uh, Dr. Gail Brenner. She's been on a long, 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 long time ago uh, talking about a book, The End of Self-Help. Um, Gail Brenner, PhD, is a clinical psychologist who joyfully helps people discover that suffering is optional. Through investigating her own experience and working with clients for over 25 years, she's discovered how to unravel common problems of everyday life to reveal the deepest acceptance and peace. Author of the award-winning The End of Self-Help, 
and at the core of every heart. She lives in Santa Barbara, California. Okay. So to learn more about her, visit her website, www.gailbrenner.com. That's G-A-I-L-B-R-E-N-N-E-R.com. Okay. And we are talking about the last book she released. It's not new, but it's new to me. And that is Suffering is Optional, A Spiritual Guide to Freedom from Self-Judgment and Feeling of Inadequacy. And some of the topics we cover is what the heck is a spiritual solution or a spiritual guide anyway? Um, how do we develop and find freedom from self-judgment and feelings of inadequacy? We talk a little bit about internal family systems. We talk about false self-beliefs the importance of grounding. We talk about the importance of getting out of your head and into your body. We talk about the importance of feeling feelings to completion, um, grounding ourselves in aware presence, turning towards direct experiences, um, learning how to not pay attention to your thoughts, not to time travel, okay? Um, and to get out of that I can't do it attitude. All right. So I think that you will find, as I do, that Gail has a beautiful, amazing um, uh, spirit about her. We did have some Internet issues. Um, hopefully our beautiful producer, Stan, will be cleaning that up. Just to remind you again, Stan is producing his podcast from the heart of the war in Ukraine. He's a very proud Ukrainian. And if you like this podcast, if this podcast has changed your life in any way, then email me at strivemethod at gmail.com uh, with any a letter or something that you want to send to Stan. If you want to donate, send that to me as well, and um, I will find out the best way to get that to Stan, okay? All right, without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Dr. Gail Brenner. Much love. Strive on, everybody. Gail, you were just saying you like my morning handsome mug. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's not mine actually. I'm not. I'm not in my home, so I mm. I have a squeaky chair, and a dog might bark at any moment. I'm I'm looking after people's animals traveling around the world. Okay. Doing the trusted house here thing. I did that last week. I looked yeah. after chickens and a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind. I've never had chickens and a hamster yet. Liza's had chickens, a dog, and a cat, but never the, a hamster. Is that trusted house here as well, or a friend? Friend. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, we're 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 like professionals. We okay. We, we're in the uh, trusted house sitter realm. It's quite fantastic. I've used them before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's mm -hmm. quite fantastic. Really enjoying it. So, how's life? Life is very good. Yeah, definitely yeah. been an adjustment since COVID because I was living a nomadic lifestyle and traveling everywhere. I think I saw you somewhere in the middle of that in yeah. London. Um, yeah. Now I'm uh, in the Bay area and pretty settled. Yeah. Oh, good. good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And uh, you've got uh, a new book. Is it uh, suffering is optional, a spiritual guide to freedom from self-judgment and feelings of inadequacy. Um, it's not that new. I think it was published. I'm not sure what year. Maybe 2018 or 2019, something like oh, that. Oh, it's new for me. It's mm, new for okay. me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> because, because last time you was on the podcast, it was um, the end of the end of self-help. Self yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that. So, And you've had a book in between. I did. 
That's very prolific. That's very prolific. Yeah, but since then, I don't feel a book. I think about it every now and then, but um, I'm enjoying group events and, Uh you know, just being out there actually relating to people as opposed to relating to my computer screen. Mm. Is that how how it comes up for you? Does the muse come up and speak to you and says, Gail, write a book, Gail, go and and be with human beings? Is, Is that how it works for you? I listen and follow. Yeah. Mm. What mm. feels enthusiastic, what feels alive. Um, why not? Like, why would I want to follow something that just feels like it feels heavy or yeah. So yeah. I love to live in that openness, you know, just following what feels alive. I like that. That is something that I've got to learn. I'm, I'm very definitely more of a rigid systematized mm this is the order that I have to do things. And I've noticed as I'm getting older, it's getting worse. <laughs> and I, I noticed when I went to see my dad recently, I can see where it comes from. Mm-hmm. My, my dad is very controlling, very organized, very systems driven. And if things don't go his way or go out of the line, a little millimeter he freaks out. Now, I'm not that bad, but I can see where it comes from. Like, I've yeah. never thought about it before. So mm-hmm. so how was that for you to recognize that there was that thread? Actually, my sister, my, so I have three sisters. My middle sister, um, she has, a, I mean, I couldn't say quite severe OCD because I've got nothing to um you know, compare it to, but she, um, she has to do a lot of check-ins of doors and she has, again, a system, you know, and for a long time, she's kind of like isolated in the family as the one with the problem. Like, you know what I mean? And, and recently as I guess, as I've been more grounded and my dad through the pandemic has been spending more time at home with my mom. And I've been getting feedback from my mom about how that's going. I see, Oh, Actually, my dad's behavior is very similar to that of my sister's, but he has no idea that it is. Yeah. Like he he looks at my sister and thinks she's a crackpot. But you know, I, I can see that exactly the same behavior in him, but in a in a different form. And we just uh, you know, we my family just bitch and moan about him um doing it. But I can see it's very similar. So I've been looking at that and thinking, oh, that's interesting. And then and myself and thinking. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Um, what do I think about it? I think there is, um, there's a, I, I look at it as a great strength of mine, um, but I got to be very careful about how it's wielded, but particularly in my dance with Liza. So Liza's um, more, I would say she's more attuned to your energy. Um, so sometimes my way of being can disrupt her energy fields a little bit. So I've just got to be aware of that. And um, I would say that today more than ever, I'm more capable of doing it. I'm not saying I'm a genius and got it all figured out, but just, I don't don't think I was even aware of it 12 months ago. That's so beautiful how you're, you know, you're aware of that in yourself and then looking at how it plays out in the relationship and, the attunement to yourself and to her. And it's mm. beautiful to hear that. I mean, there's, that's where, that's how we flow in relationship. Yeah. And 
before that, I would have felt controlled. And mm-hmm. actually, at times, my inner child will come up and feel controlled. So if, if, if Liza wants me to chill out, for example, and I haven't been attuned to that, so she has to tell me, there is a part of my inner child which will be resistant to it. Yeah. But And then I would say 12 months plus ago, I, I would have verbally bitched and moaned, like really acted like a petulant child. Um, these days I feel it and I would say maybe eight times out of 10, it doesn't even come out of my mouth. I've already dealt with it within myself internally. Um, that's so beautiful. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So to your book, I mean, this is all part of the same kind of, kind of thing, I guess, you know, um, yeah. because actually when Liza says to me, Lee, can you calm down a little bit or Lee, your energy there it does conjure up feelings of self-judgment and feelings of inadequacy in, in your book you know that that i want to talk about is suffering is optional the spiritual guide of freedom from self-judgment and feelings of inadequacy i haven't read the book all right i haven't read the book but i am i i have got it on my list and i i do want to get into it um first of all i, I was very interested in your definition of a spiritual guide because this is sometimes where I get lost sometimes, and I know some of my my listeners do. What, could you talk about that a little bit? That's a really great question, because that's like the crux of all of my work. I'm a psychologist by training, and you know we can definitely get caught in the psychology, which means the stories we've lived and the feelings that we have, and beautiful to acknowledge them. And um, what I found in general is that psychology can only take us so far in terms of our healing that we need more. And for me, that more goes into a spiritual direction. So what that means is we need to look outside our conventional views of ourselves. We need to um, not fix our stories. I don't find that to be that useful, like to have a better story or rework the story about what happened in the past. But it's all about our present moment experience and realizing what's arising in the present moment and um, bringing skills to that to help us through and resources and recognizing that that's not who we are. So for example, this thought, I'm inadequate. And the reason I wrote this book is because so many people have that identity and they it comes from the past, of course, and they feel inadequate or worthless or self-critical or, you know, that it's just rampant. It's a pandemic. Even before the pandemic, that's a pandemic. And um, so, so that's the reason I, I wanted to focus on that. And, and the that we call some of us hold that identity really really strongly like we really believe that that defines us and it doesn't who we are is innocent and free and open so if we think about who were we before that identity got stuck in us we were this just open innocent available filled with love being and so the 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 work as i see it is to uncover that, to find our way home back to that original state, that original um, essence of who we are. So mm. that's where the spiritual meets the psychological. Mm, I love that. I mean, when um, you talk about, let me gather my thoughts a second. When you talk about this pandemic of 
um, inadequacy, you know, personal feelings of inadequacy. It almost, uh, I, see, I see the same thing, you know, in my work. And it makes me wonder whether somewhere, whether actually in our design, it's it's hardwired in there that we do feel inadequate because there's so many people who who do. And I look at my daughter, she's five, and I I I I I hope that I'm doing um incorporating everything that I'm learning and, and put it in parenthood and similar with Liza. Um and on occasion I see this 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 uh this feeling of inadequacy within Zia at five. Um, and I and I often think to myself, where where's that come from? And and me and Liza look at ourselves and we're like, is it coming from us? Is she picking it up from us? Did she pick it up from us when she was one, two, three, four, five? Even though we're doing so much work trying to kind of like improve ourselves and grow and grow awareness. Um, but it's there. And 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 sometimes I get a little bit fearful. As a parent, you know, I'm like, my control wants to come out. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want her to feel inadequate. I want her to love herself. And, of course, that's what we're, we're talking about and, and speaking about all the time, you know. Um, do you have any thoughts or any comments or any opinions on that? You know, it's interesting that you bring up is that hardwired. I, I, I don't actually know the answer to that, but what comes up for me with that question is how there's a legacy of that in many of our families, that feeling of inadequacy, mm. and that it can get passed down in subtle ways. I mean, there's, mm. you know, not just early trauma that we experience, but there's family trauma and uh, down through the generations, there's cultural trauma. I mean, the this idea of inadequacy is like, it's shooting at us from every direction. It's all about we need something that we don't have. And we're and so in that there's a sense of lack. So that sense of like I'm missing something is rampant. So it could be that there's some, you know, thread of that that comes through. Um, that somehow is affecting your daughter. I mean, I don't really know, but I, what I'm hearing is that you're very aware of that as parents, which is the the medicine that she needs. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's um, it's balanced with some super confidence in some areas. And I just realized, actually, as you're speaking, if you think about it, straight out of the bat, I just opened up and said when um, Liza speaks to me in a certain way, and wants me to slow down i feel inadequate and then i said and i used to behave xyz well my daughter sees that right she sees that play out like yeah. i am her role model and she sees that play out do you know what i mean in subtle ways and yeah no doubt it's been and picked they're up like sponges as you know you know they yeah. just pick everything yeah mm. and and i just wanted to just share a personal um uh comment on the the spiritual side of things as well because with with my rigidity um there's also a very a rigidity around religion and god and things that we don't know and there's a there's a part of me that is i need to know that this is definitively true before i believe in it um but i would say in the last 12 months particularly in the last 
three or four. So me and Liza and Zia have been actually been separated for three months. I came to the UK and Liza and Zia stayed in the US. Um, and part of that was because we had to, and part of it was a, a healing process for us both. And in that moment, I, I started to write to God and communicate to God and to release control and to talk in ways to God as um, um, to have faith that um, God, and I keep referring to her as a her, she will show me the way and she will show me the lessons and show me the guideposts and I will be aware and I'll be looking out for them. Um, that was that was tricky for me uh, because there, there was something around emasculation and um i don't know there was a line i crossed when i started to use the word god and i would even sometimes when i'm doing videos or talking to people i'll say um uh god or the infinite field of potentiality or that that we don't know or source or universe and and it's almost like there's a shame attached to me using the word god and I have to explain to everybody that I don't believe in a biblical God, which, again, probably comes back down to self-judgment and feelings of inadequacy. Perhaps. Um, I love hearing how you are relating to this entity that we might call God, because you're, you're beyond belief, it sounds like. You're into like actual um, receiving of guidance, listening, listening now for guidance, and you're getting it. You know, it sounds yeah. like you know, when you let go of control and you actually relax and listen and open, there's something there. And it, there's something about that relationship that's alive for you. It sounds like definitely. Mm. And yeah. it's, it's fun. It's vulnerable. There's a, there's a vulnerability in releasing control and having faith that things will work out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe I, I it's found not that really challenging. Male quality. I don't know. I love surrender. I'm thinking of surrender. A surrender, like I know my desires for things that has very little to do with what happens. So I much prefer. It's so relaxing for me to just mm. surrender and listen, and it's made my life incredibly exciting. Because then you are in infinite potential. Like your mind can't come up with what the universe knows right so yeah, yeah. that surrender and willingness to listen and be guided and i off i use the word experiment a lot like just try it out just see you don't have to decide on a whole new belief system or anything just do an experiment and see how it feels to to be guided for two hours on a sunday morning and mm. you know not have control and what is that like and what does that bring up and let's labor on this a little bit more, actually, because um, I didn't I didn't want to go there initially, but it feels intuitively for me to keep going because, you know, this is a podcast where a lot of people listening will be really struggling um, with alcohol. And, and not to say that the only people who struggle with alcohol are the working class. Right. Obviously not. You know, um, but there are there will be a large I would say the biggest mass of my audience will be working class. And they will be struggling to make ends meet, to be, be you know, probably working paycheck to paycheck, you know. So then when it comes to having faith and hoping that things will work out, I, again, I want to share my personal experience and not put it on everybody who's listening, but I imagine people will relate to this, is as, as a man and my responsibilities stereotypically and just the way that my life is, I found it very easy 
to stay on my path of least resistance and not have faith or be vulnerable enough to release control because it was a part of me saying, well, you can't do that, Lee. You don't have time to put faith in God because if God doesn't show up for you, you can't feed Zia and Jude and, and, and Liza. So, so there was a, there was a block there. So I imagine there's other people thinking, yeah, it's fine for you to yeah. talk about this, but I've got bills to pay and I've got deadlines to meet and I've, I've got to do X, Y, Z in a job. Um, what would you say to that? And then I'll share my experience as well. I would again say to do the experiment and not in a way that's, that puts your whole life on end, but in, in little ways, like, is that true that if I release control, I'm not going to have enough money for my family? That's a, that's a question that can be answered by an experiment. So, Mm. you know, you just, you know, the experiment would be to just let go of the control and see what actually comes. Like you said, you were afraid that you wouldn't get guidance. You always get, you can't not get guidance. Even if the guidance is wait and take a breath, or I don't know, that's, that can be guidance. Um, So there's always, there's always guidance there. And I want to say I have great compassion for, you know, when people are struggling day to day and they have to, you know, make sure that they keep going so that they can uh, have their needs met. And, you know, I don't think that's at odds. I mean, that's part of the life situation and bringing intelligence to that and, and good heart also. I mean, you know, a situation like that doesn't have to be just in fear. It can, you know, bringing heart to it. And then that starts to add a spirit dimension to what's going on so mm. there are different ways in a great book for that is um e squared by pam grout she has these mm-hmm. little experiments that you can they can try and they're quite fun as well and none of them are really going to affect your life in in any big way what i found um taking this is the one thing that i always fall back on and and I think we'll talk about this actually in, in um, the, the reality turning towards direct experience. I, uh, you know, I, I think is is something you say. Um, and for me, my direct experience is I'm 47 years of age, and I've never been without a meal. I've never been without a roof over my head. And actually, if I if I just deal with the, not direct experience, but like present moment right now what would happen to me if I lost everything? I I could probably list a hundred people who would take care of me until I got myself sorted out. And I would add you to that list, Gail. I think if I called you up and said, Gail, I'm in a lot of trouble. Can you help me out? You would be like, surely what you need. So for me, that really helps me to have faith. And to take more risks, because actually the evidence shows me that I'm that I'll be all right. And and then the other thing I want to add to that is the help comes to you in ways that you might not you might not realize. Like I haven't paid rent for two months because of this trusted house sitter gig. Mm-hmm. I might not have earned two thousand four hundred pounds additional in income, but I don't have to pay two thousand four hundred pounds because I'm not paying rent. Mm-hmm. Right, which comes at you in a different way. I asked God. <laughs> to help me out financially and this is how god showed up i've been winning trusted house in the jobs you know 
It's creative, you know, to think of that and to, you know, I've lived as a nomad and that had its own um, adventures and, you know, challenges. So it's, Mm. and that was all about being guided. So, yeah, yeah. My, uh, my coach says to me, create a tally of the abundance you receive that is not monetary and you can put a monetary value on it. And it's amazing how much abundance you get that you, you don't even think about like a free taxi ride here. My free rail train passes here. Somebody puts you up for a night here. Someone buys you a lunch. (laughs) It's it's amazing. Um, What would you say to people who are in relationship where one person wants to experiment, have fun, but take it a little bit more serious and just kind of let go and let things, let things take its course and be guided by God. And then, you're, you're with someone like me who has been in the past more rigid and more structured and hang on a minute, if this is in the budget, we're not going to be doing it or we can't just let this one ride and hope that we'll be taken care of. Gail, what would you say to couples where there's one part, one person in, in, in the relationship who really wants to give this a try and once I've got this, see, this has happened in my relationship. Let's just use my relationship. This is why I'm asking. Partly for me, for, for people listening as well. Sometimes ladies will say to me, where's the money coming from this month? And I'll be like, look, I don't know where it's coming from. I'm a freelancer. I'm an entrepreneur. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. I'm not worried about it because it always shows up. And ladies will say, yeah, but no, we need a plan. And I'll say, yeah, well, I'm doing X, Y, Z which I do every month. And part of that is praying to God. And part of that is doing podcasts like this with Gail, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, there, there needs to be more. We, we, need, we need a plan, right? So what advice would you give to people like that who are bumping into each other where one wants to really delve into this spiritual and let go and then the other part is a little bit wants to hold on to that control? conversation like that is asking for a deeper and more vulnerable exploration for both people. So it's not like that feels surface to me, you know, we need a plan and I don't want to have a plan. And there's so much behind that for you and for her. Like I have a lot of curiosity about what is behind that, that she needs a plan. You know, she has a you have a daughter together and a family and I imagine there's fear and a need for security and Mm. you know but but having her have the space to like speak all of that and then having you have the space to speak all of what's alive for you in terms of letting go and surrender and being guided and where that path is going and I don't know where it would come out but I know when you start like opening a big space to include all the feelings and reactions and have compassion for each other there's i don't know what the solution is but there's connection so it's not it doesn't end up being a rupture in the connection you Mm. can stay connected and still have these differing ways and differing points of view and then you see what creative solution might come from that yeah almost like um, yeah going deeper and trying to find a win-win yeah yeah so I, i i again it's like um awareness right so if 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 you're noticing that your partner is really uncomfortable with it um, and it is likely coming from safety or security, they feel unsafe, then if you want to go down this road, it's a question of how can you do so whilst ensuring that they feel safe? Like what, how can you have a discussion around that to make sure that that is 
there's a way you can do that jointly. And where is that lack of safety coming from? And where is that lack of security coming from? But conversation and communication uh, sounds like absolute key. With, with a lot of openness, like you said, mm. you know, open to the feelings and come to a win-win. That open to the feelings part, that's that's very rich. It takes time. It takes vulnerability. There has to be safety in the conversation. There might be some connection to early trauma or whatever happened early on in our lives, usually the, that like fear of, you know, needing safety that, that probably has its roots early on. And maybe mm. there are things with you that have your roots early on. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it makes relationship a, a, a path, that kind of spiritual path of, you know, the willingness to explore everything. And if that's present for both people. Well, Liza usually sees her father in me. So any anything that uh, affected her from her father, I I replay it, and vice versa with her. And my mom, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not crazy. The Bible at all. This is what people do in relationships. Isn't it crazy? The other thing I notice in relationships as well, I'm a great observer when I'm traveling about. How many people get into relationships that look so similar to each other? Yeah. I mean, me and Liza look quite similar, but I see, I'm looking at people I'm like, holy cow, you just look exactly the same. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. I love relationships. Um, I just say that was meant to be or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suffering is optional. Talk about that a little bit, because that's an interesting one. So the reason that, uh, that that ended up being the title is because, um, not that we can avoid suffering for the rest of our lives forever. No, that's not really how it works. But in the moment, in any moment, we can do a turn the mirror, turn the direction in so that we look inside and see what's actually arising in us, not in our minds and stories, but like, what are the feelings? What's happening in the body? And in the work that I do, like the attention to the body is really important because it's a barometer of what's actually happening. And it's where feelings and stress shows up. So it's really good to be attuned to the body. And once we know what our in the moment experience really is, and we're attuned to it with love and care and kindness and self-compassion, we can bring, you know, coping mechanisms or resources or ideas about how we can handle that moment. We can bring all of that to the moment. And then it's not a, a moment of suffering anymore. It's not like we're defining things by a problem or by, by what we don't have. There's just this great sense of uh, acknowledgement of what's going on and and self-care. And with self-care, we can begin to be aware that, you know, others need our compassion too. So it's a, it's a process that comes from the inside out. And what I find is when you follow that, it's, you're not suffering, you're investigating, you're curious, you're feeling, you're loving, you're loving yourself, you're loving your experience. And, uh, and that's what's present, not that there's a problem in your suffering. If you're struggling with alcohol addiction, you're in luck. At no time in history have there been so much choice to find sobriety as there is today. So why the Strive Method? Where so many processes focus on quitting alcohol, the Strive Method helps you get to the root of the reason why you drink alcohol. You can quit alcohol and still emanate from a place of pain and suffering. Who wants that? I certainly didn't. 
I feel I understand myself better than any time in my life. The Strive Method didn't just help me quit alcohol, it helped save my marriage and learn to be myself for the first time in my life. It's more than a place I want to be, it's a place I have to be. Mm, okay, so outside of physical suffering, so I could like, I mean, I had a bad back today. Funny enough, I don't have it right now in this moment as I'm talking to you, it's not present. Um, but outside of physical suffering, I could have, uh, well, I do have uh, a variety of different issues, problems, things that are mainly things that are coming up in the future that are creating anxiety, not overwhelm, but creating anxiety. My body's saying to me, Lee, you need to pay attention and you need to do a few things because these things are coming up on the horizon. But right now in this moment, as I talk to you, which is the only moment that exists, I'm not focused on the future. I'm focused on you. So right now I'm not suffering. And, and if I was married and attached to certain traumas and events and issues that happened to me in the past, right now in this moment, the only way that the past can hurt me outside physically, if, if it's a physical issue, is me thinking about and bringing up the story and visualizing it. And then my body attaches emotion to it, I imagine, and feeling because the, the mind just thinks it's real. Then it's like you're looking through a veil. You know, you've like lost your sense of presence in the moment. And when you, this is so profound, what you're saying, as soon as you start believing what the mind is telling you, mm. then it's like, that's when you start having the feelings and reactions and you feel actually disconnected from yourself, from your core experience, disconnected from the moment, disconnected from whoever you're with. So that's it. Exactly. When you start getting attached to what the mind is telling you, that's where mm. the problem is. Let's talk about emotions a bit, because um, I noticed that um, I read it somewhere. I can't remember if it was on your website or in the book is the importance of welcoming feelings. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a massive, this is a massive one for me in the work that I do. And when I'm around people with alcohol addiction, because just pick one out of the blue. Um, Lee, I drank last night. Okay, what happened? I was feeling overwhelmed and the overwhelm, I couldn't handle it and I couldn't control it. And then I drank. Now, whilst I have tremendous um, compassion and empathy for being in that spot myself, hindsight and further growth and development tells me, anyway, my, some might believe that a human being can pretty much feel all emotion to completion because we're designed to be that way. Like it, it, God or whatever you want to call, whatever created us would not have given us anger. If we couldn't have handled anger, it wouldn't give us hatred or jealousy or embarrassment or humiliation or fear if we couldn't handle it. So again, some coming back to welcoming feelings and being in that present moment, isn't half the gig wow, I'm really anxious right now and feeling anxious. I know it sounds so simple, but isn't it just, okay, how are you feeling? I'm overwhelmed. Okay, right. So we need to feel overwhelmed. Where are you feeling it in your body, et cetera? I'll let you continue with that. Yeah. So if you don't um, feel your, like say you're feeling overwhelmed 
and you don't let yourself feel it. So you, you kind of suppress it or push it down or do something so that you don't feel overwhelmed. What happens to the feeling? It like gets stuck in the nervous system. It doesn't actually go away. So there's an art to dealing with feelings because sometimes it's intelligent to bring strategies like the breath is a very simple and useful strategy just to feel whatever you're feeling, especially if it's overwhelm and just like breathe. I like hand on heart, hand on belly because there's a connection there and just take some conscious breaths, like slowing the breath down a little bit, not to get rid of the feeling necessarily, but to, to be at ease with the fact that the feeling is there. Um, so yeah, so turning away from feelings is, um, it just perpetuates them. What we resist persists. We probably all heard that phrase, and um, what that means is when we turn away from feelings and we avoid them and we don't want them, we pretend they're not there, what happens that actually, it, as a paradox, it energizes the feelings. So we need to find other skills. I also want to acknowledge that, you know, the, the example that you gave about someone feeling overwhelmed and trying things and it's not working and then they, they go and drink. There's an intelligence to that response. I mean, I'm really hearing mm. they want to feel better. They want to feel more at ease. They want to, you know, it, 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 there's a certain way in which a, a, a reaction like drinking, it, it does something useful. It's not functional in the long term. And, you know, there's a lot of negative that comes with it, but not to judge it or shame someone either for choosing that coping mechanism, but to find other resources that might uh, help in a, in a healthier way. Yeah. I, 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 in that case, I, I would say that there's a part of the, there's a part of the person who is afraid of the overwhelm. And that then is triggering another part of the person who is like, okay, you're afraid of overwhelm. Let me, let me keep us safe by, by drinking alcohol. And that has been the go-to strategy. So I try to coach people for this little, this little part of them that's, that's afraid of overwhelm is to actually recognize that part, love that part, uh, ask if it needs some help. And then similarly with the part that drinks alcohol, what that's about and and how that part's feeling and what it really wants. Does it really want to drink all the time and look after this other part? Does it want to want burden? So I really like the work of um, Dr. Richard Schwartz, you know, on internal family system. I'm hearing in what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, re I really, I really love that approach. I think it works. I, I just think it's a great way of living life. Like when I, let's say, Liza comes storming up here in a minute and uh, as a go at me, for something um I, I i could just be like oh wow there there's a part of liza that is being activated right now and is using anger as a way to keep her safe what a beautiful compassionate way to approach it versus having a shouting match back right like so yeah i think that's really important super important why 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 have we been you know you said earlier on about the body you know why 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 are we so up here and just just it's not resistance it's not even resistance after time it's just not knowing i remember being in a training course and they kept saying to me lee you're so in your head and, and i didn't know what they were telling me and they would say you need to be more in your body i'm like well how do i do that i'm i'm a willing player here uh, can you talk about the head and the body and that kind of disconnection at the neck there is that disconnect <laughs> and, you know and the head is big and the body doesn't even exist yeah 
It can be, it can feel like that. Thinking is a coping mechanism, you know, like we were talking earlier about needing control. Um, if there's any anxiety about life, about who I am and what I'm doing and being okay and feeling safe, the, the mechanism is to not feel the fear. I mean, fear is um, uncomfortable to feel. It's built into the human body. It's natural. It's part of our animal nature to feel afraid and be vigilant. And am I safe? You know, asking that question, am I safe? Is it okay? And we happen to be blessed and cursed with a lot of cerebral cortex. So we're intelligent beings. We can think and we can think a lot. And sometimes that mechanism of fear just kind of goes up into the mind. And then that's where our attention gets stuck, repeating fearful thoughts, um, fear about the future, uh, you know, worry, is everything okay? You know, and, and being stuck in that um uh, mindset that you know circling of thoughts in the mm. mind the medicine for that is always because there even if you're in the mind i guarantee you there is something happening in the body there's tension there's energy there's shortness of breath there's constricted breathing something is going on and the invitation for um not just getting out of the head but like uniting all the parts of ourselves is to give attention to all parts of ourselves. And that includes just bringing the attention down and giving it attention, bringing the attention down and giving attention to different parts of the body. And just to be curious, like, Oh, what's happening in the body. Mm. There's so much going on there that if we don't consciously bring our attention into the body, we're going to miss it. Mm, and every yeah. emotion has something physical going on. And this goes back to early trauma because, and when I say early in this sense, very early, like say we're infants, we don't even have the capacity to think at that point, but we do have the capacity to feel in our bodies. And if our emotions aren't tended to, and if we're not getting the care and love and holding that we need, those emotions that that upset gets stuck in the body. So eventually the medicine for that is getting, giving attention to the body so that there's room for all that stuck energy to have, to be accepted, to have uh, conscious awareness and, you know, the capacity for it to be released from the body. I remember once being in a library when my first marriage was falling apart and there was a book there called Woman by Natalie Angier and it, and the subtitle was every every person in a relationship with a woman should buy this book. So I was like, wow, my relationship with this woman's fallen apart. I'm gonna buy this book. It wasn't like I thought it would be. It was no, no like self-help book towards um a building a relationship with, with a woman, but it was a book about women. It was a book about how they're built biologically. It was a book about their their periods, uh having babies, uh, their anatomy and everything. And I remember reading it thinking to myself. I know more about a woman now after I read this book than I know about myself biologically, you know? Um, and I certainly, I didn't think about this at the time. I certainly went through a good 40 years of my life, not being curious at all about my body and what a change and turnaround and how interesting and exciting and how much more grounded it is to grow that awareness, isn't it? 
if we want to be present in our lives, like aware and alive and like here in this moment, then the body is a great entree into that. Mm. We feel our, use the word grounded. I was actually thinking that at the same time that you said that, feeling our feet on the floor, like feeling ourselves sitting in the chair, sitting up straight. You know, if we have these identities, we're carrying a lot of feelings, we, we don't feel open in our body. So like just some movement and openness and expansion through the body. It's, um, it, it feels good and it feels, it makes us feel way more connected to life and to mm. what's happening right now. Yeah. I would say last year when I did my, I did my, um, coaching training with the elements from coaching Institute, it was like a six month training. We had a, a lot of coaching. So we were we had like hundreds of hours of coaching. So we had a hundred of hours of going into our shadows, into our trauma, all that kind of stuff and hundreds of hours of coaching other people, which obviously helped in terms of me becoming a more grounded individual. But I also think as well, a big part of that, like we're saying is learning to be in the body more. And I'll, I'll give you an example and I'll, and I'll open it up to you to, to um, give your experience on this, this trusted house sitter job that I've been doing, it's all been about looking after people's homes, but looking more importantly, looking after their, their babies, their animals. And I, as I've always had been in and around animals all my life, but I would say when I was not present, when I was not in my body, cats and dogs would annoy me and irritate me. The, the noises they would make would annoy me. I would shout. I, I wouldn't want them to lick me because I wouldn't want their saliva on me i wouldn't want their hair on me and the first job i got was looking after two cats and i would go to the shop gail and i would be covered in head to toe in ginger cat air these things would be licking me and loving me and crying at three in the morning and i just was not losing my shit i i, I just recognized them as beautiful animals that really needed my love attention and compassion who were missing their owners and and i was like whoa these animals have been sent my way by God to help me to understand that I am a more grounded individual. Speaks to your openness. I mean, you're you're very open to learning, discovering things about yourself. You know, looking at things in a different from a different point of view. And yeah, beautiful how that opened. Animal you. therapy. There's a thing, right? Animal therapy. There is. Yeah. I can see. I can see why it's there. Um, and, you know, I still could tonight erupt and shout at my daughter or my wife or the dog or whatever. That could still happen. And, and I guess, you know, one of the most important things, especially if you're trying to stop drinking alcohol and you are trying to deal with everything that like Lee's thrown at you and Gail's thrown at you. How important is patience and being OK with screwing up continually? You know, we're perfectly imperfect. That's that's yeah, the, yeah. what I was thinking. And um, we screw up. We're just human, you know, and I think the more that we can recognize we're just having a human experience here. We are, we mess up, we fail, we rise up, we do everything. We have a range of emotions. We react. We're reactive beings. We love, we care, we everything. It's the, John Kabat-Zinn wrote a book called The Full Catastrophe, Full Catastrophe Living. It's just the full, 
you know, range of the human experience. And it's, and, you know, we, we tend to, if we're not very aware, we take it all personally. And like, I, I'm inadequate. I messed up. I, it's just life. We, we, we do everything in life. Everything is possible. And it's just, you know, to take out that personal element that feels really harsh can Mm -hmm. be really helpful. Like it's just, just what's happening right now to be flowy with that. What's your views on wisdom as well? There's there's a part of me that's thinking it's no coincidence that I'm at the oldest I've ever been in my life. And I'm like, I'm 47 now. And I just, you know, I've got a five-year-old daughter. Uh, Having kids in your 40s versus 20s is so different. Um, You know, is it a part, as you get older, I guess wisdom and experience must count so much towards this spiritual solution you know that we're we're talking about do you think i think it does definitely i mean we learn i'm 66 close to 67 at this point and yeah i definitely i mean i'm like i feel aging happening and i feel like really grounded in whatever that brings you like it Mm. feels i want to be graceful about it as it keeps it's happening already obviously but as it keeps going and um there's also though separate from age and and even separate from life experience is the wisdom that's available when we stop and listen and you know be patient and just give ourselves the chance to not try to figure it all out in our minds and solve all our problems but just to relax to take a breath and relax that and listen deeply to the wisdom that comes through us from whatever from god from life um that unconditioned movement that that is available to us so that kind of wisdom is available for all of us at any time that's quite beautiful actually one one feedback that i've had in the past when i've been on in coaching containers with other coaches learning is um that i ask too many questions Um, and, I, and I struggled to get my head around it at the beginning. I was like, what do you mean? You told me to ask lots of questions. And there was part wanting to be center of attention and wanting to be seen and wanting to be heard. There was another part that I wanted to show the people running it that I was, I get up and go worthy of kind of like, you know, um, maybe connecting and networking in the future. Um, but there was also a part of it where, I just I just wanted everybody else's opinion so I could get a more informed decision. And, you know, their advice really helped me in as much as, you know, I use Marco Polo with my clients. And so, sometimes my clients will come on Marco Polo and they'll say, Lee, um, what do you think about this? And very often for me, it's just, I don't know. Why don't you just give it 24 hours to 48 hours and ask, God to give you some direction and come back to me when you've got some answers, because I I strongly believe that the power for change is present within each one of us. I mean, you said right at the outset, didn't you, that we're almost like using the metaphor of the acorn and the oak. We're all that. We were all born the perfect, imperfectly imperfect person we was ever going to become until the world got its hands on us. And it's just, it's just trusting that that essence and that power is within us and outside of us because we're connected to it. Look at me. I'm, I'm talking all, I'm, I'm, I'm totally transformed here. I'm talking all godlike. Look at me. My listeners will be like, who's this guy? 
Yeah, well, you, you've, you, you've decided not to ask so many questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, trust, that's what I'm picking up on what you're saying, just to trust something. You know, many of us, we don't know what to trust, so we trust our minds. And if we go to our minds to define who we are and to figure out how to live life, it's going to be limited and it's not going to feel good because it's not the full expression of what's possible. So then if we're not going to go to our minds to know what to do or to get guidance or to, you know, to find our way forward, where, what do we do? Where do we go? And that's where the invitation is to get still and get quiet and just, you know, just see what else is available outside of the very limited view that our thoughts will tell us. I mean, that's what a lot, uh, when we feel inadequate, that's what we're doing. We're going to the mind because somewhere along the line, someone told us we're inadequate or we concluded that from things that happened when we were young and we live with that identity. And then, you know, who am I? Well, I'm this you know, I can create all this evidence that shows me how inadequate I am. And that's all in the mind. And there's something else way beyond the mind that's always available. Mm. The world is going through a pretty difficult time. You know, we've we've had the pandemic. Now we've got the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, I even said to Liza yesterday, we were traveling around and I, I said, well, you know, we were going to travel through Europe. But maybe now is not the right time to be traveling around Europe in case we're caught in a in a foreign country, a country that's not of our birth and we don't know what the rules and regulations are going to be if something kicks off, right? With everything that you've learned and everything you practice, how do you deal with what's going on in the world and your attention to it? Yeah, I'm really appreciating that you're asking that question. So for me, a couple of things come up. One is to dose how much news you listen to. So for some people, there's this like, I need to know everything and it's upsetting to the nervous system and not that the nervous system shouldn't be upset. That's appropriate in a situation like that, but to take, it's okay to take care of yourself in a situation like that and not be exposed to everything to the point where it's constantly overwhelming or stressful. Mm. That said, um, there's an opportunity here for compassion, for pain, for like non-separation. Like, why am I in America and not in Ukraine? I mean, who knows the answer to that, you know, and to really, um, in ways that don't feel so overwhelming, let yourself connect with the pain that comes up around the events that happen. Another one is climate change. I mean, I know for myself, when I really feel into what it means for humans, animals and specific examples, and you know, my heart just breaks and I let my heart break. And there's something very human about that. And I don't want to live there because I wouldn't be functional in my life and it wouldn't let me, you know, do whatever I do that might contribute to the whole. So it's a, it's a dance, it's a balance and a, a, a navigation of all of that, but not to, you know, there's a, definitely a movement to turn away from all of that. Mm. And I get that because it's, it's so painful when we really go there, but to, to touch in to those painful places, sometimes to acknowledge what's authentic within us. Mm. There's, a, there's an element as well. I mean, I, I mean, this is my only small in my opinion. Mm -hmm. there's an, uh, 
from some people I've been around. There's almost like an attraction to the drama. Um, and that attraction to the drama keeps them stuck in this um, almost like a toxic energy, like a, you know, a blame, judgment, complaining thing. Um, I see I see some people in my circle go in there. Um, what I what I will I won't even look at the news. The news finds me. I don't need to look at the news. People will tell me what's going on in the world. But I do see some people really wanting to get into it and have an opinion, but the opinion's never really healthy or open to debate or coming from a place of curiosity. It is rooted in drama. So there's a there's a part of them that feels safe in knowing all the drama and then spouting it out to people. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like in that there's an, I'm right. You know, I know I'm right. I have my point of view. Yeah. And uh, yeah. It allows them to choose a side and then be noticed. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. Mm. Just as you say that, um, and this is something I've been thinking through our conversation is to just say a little more about relationship, because if someone is showing up in relationship with a point of view and wanting to get a point across or wanting to have some kind of effect on people, it, it's going to have effects on their relationships, right? It, mm. it, most people, it like will send other people away. It won't make people feel closer when you're yeah. in that mode. So there's always that opportunity to explore how we are in our relationships relationships, what's motivating us, what's the energy that we bring. I thought of this when you mentioned the pets, it's like pets run on energy. So animals. So what's the energy that you bring to an interaction with a pet? And what's the energy that you bring to an interaction with a, a child, an infant, your partner, your, you know, and to, to always put the mirror up, to be very um, willing to turn the attention around, to go in and to see what it is that we're bringing to our interactions with other people. That's when they have the capacity to get more intimate and more, um, more satisfying ultimately we feel more connected and we're connected beings you know we are we we uh, you know had our first form in life as two cells in the womb of a, a woman right in that mm-hmm. we were carried by our mothers and we're in relationship from like the first moment of existence and it it's it seems very important and useful in my experience to give a lot of attention to how we show up in our relationships Oh yeah, I, I, my brother-in-law Daniel. Whenever we're at a party, I always make a beeline for Daniel. That, that if I, it, Daniel, Daniel's Asian. You know, we we went through this whole Asian hate thing in California, and you're probably aware of it being there yourself. You know, and you know, Daniel's a teacher, and he has he has Asian students, and he has a very solid view on it. You know, but if I if I was one of those haters, and I went to Daniel and started pouring out some hate on Daniel. Daniel has this remarkable capacity to get curious as to why I hate him. And he would come from a place of curiosity and compassion. He would listen and he would ask questions. He would not try to assert himself. And, you know, I've learned a lot from being in and, in and around him. And, and I've asked him before, like when I've been speaking to him, because I can talk a lot and he's, he's like, Oh, I love it. I love I love listening to people. I love holding space for them. I love um, being curious and understanding their point of view. Um, that that is, you know, 
if we can get out of our Hulk brain, get out of our sympathetic nervous system long enough to get there, I mean, beautiful, right? Those qualities that you mentioned, curiosity, like that means not so if you spew hate at him, like he doesn't take it personally, or mm. I mean, I don't know what his inner experience is, but he's able to come to a place of like, oh, what is actually happening here? Not yeah. to get caught in the interchange and the throwing the, you know, the point of view back and forth, but like mm. stepping, there's a stepping back. There's like, wait, wait, what is actually happening here? And let's be curious. Let's open it up and see what's actually going on here. Mm -hmm. And then you said compassion and doing that with compassion, with care, not with judgment, because that's in the mind, but with, um, you know, just being centered as much as possible in our hearts and grounded in, in the here and now. And like, ah, what is, here's this being in front of me. Who is this? Like, what mm -hmm. is actually happening here? It's beautiful. Well, I'd even add vulnerability to that. Imagine if you're in a you're in a you're in the pub for people listening here, and you're around a bunch of people moaning and groaning about let's choose um Ukrainian immigrants suddenly coming into the UK. And everyone's moaning and groaning that all of a sudden they don't want these people in because this is Britain and they don't want Ukrainians in, or they do want the Ukrainians in, but they don't want the Syrians in, and they're going on and on about it. You have an opportunity in that moment is to get curious as to why these people think these things rather than joining them in with it. But there is a vulnerability there because then you're running that there's this feeling of maybe inadequacy or judgment that will come up is what if I have a different point of view and the red fish swimming this way and the blue fish is swimming that way. So I think there's a great vulnerability in it. And um, people like Daniel, I'm using him as an example. He's a great role model because he allows other people to get that confidence that, Oh, look, he's, he's a red fish. So I could be a red fish as well. And nothing's happening to him. Bad. Actually people are gravitating towards him, which I think is really powerful. Taking up an hour of your time. Um, what are you up to? A joy, really. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm resonating with our energy together. Yeah. And just, oh, yeah. and just before I, yeah, just before I go to that, actually, we talking about the Ukraine, and we've had a very difficult um, conversation because of internet issues. Our, our podcast producer Stan, he's in the Ukraine right now. He's, he's a very proud Ukrainian. His, his family are in a different country away from him. And he's there and um, and he's there on his laptop producing this podcast while the air raid sirens are going off above him and 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 the missile defense systems are taking him out of the sky. And he is still doing the work and he is still showing up and he's still doing amazing things. So for all of you listening, as I always say, if you want to help and support him financially, send me an email at thestridemethod.gmail.com. And we'll figure out the best way, um, the most effective way to donate to the right charities in Ukraine. Just wanted to put that put that in yeah, there. And I'm wondering you. if we could also just take a minute just to feel Stan and, you know, just send some love over there to him and everybody around him and um, really acknowledge that, like, you know, it's a way to feel connected. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Stan, this is this. Little moment is for you, buddy. I'm really moved by that. I feel that. Yeah. 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 You're going to get me crying, girl. 
I feel it too. <laughs> this is, the, I mean, what's this makes it real. You know, you read the news and the people and it's horrible. And then there's like a person who you actually know who's living it and it just kind of brings it home. Yeah. Yeah. Stan, we love you. Hope you keep safe, brother. Um, so what do you want to, Gail? How can people get hold of you? Is there anything special going on? Are you just kind of like floating along on this little cloud, pink cloud? What's going on? Well, so my website is gailbrenner.com. It's G-A-I-L-B-R-E-N-N-E-R.com. And um, if you sign up for the uh, mailing list, the email list, I send out an article every Friday. And uh, it's called Friday Inspiration. And um, uh, yeah, I get a lot of good feedback about those articles. And my events mostly are groups these days. So mm-hmm. uh, I do see a few people individually at just as consultations. But um I'm loving groups and the groups are about um, giving a safe space, you know, and that's a big focus for me so that we can go to those difficult and tender and vulnerable places in ourselves and do the healing work in this context of, you know, what, whatever happened to us when we were young and also opening to the here and now. So bringing in that element of spirituality and uh, I call it awakened living or embodied living, like Mm. living conscious lives. And it's uh, a beautiful community that's developed. So the um, information for events is uh, on my website and I don't have it scheduled yet, but I sometimes do courses like five or six sessions. And it's a beautiful way for a community of people to work together in this important work of, um, of healing and being present in our lives. Yeah. Everybody go check her out as you have no doubt learned from this discussion. Gail's got a beautiful energy about it, very grounded and, uh, Go check her out. Um, Gail, much love. It's great to see you. Thank hopefully, you, this hopefully been really fun. Joe and his mate, Joe Biden and his mates will let me in the country soon and I come and see you. We'll see. Yeah. We'll have our fingers crossed. If you make but, it to uh, California, please let me know. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much. Okay, okay, okay. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with um, Dr. Gail Brenner. I hope the internet didn't interrupt your experience of it. Uh, please head to www. Uh, gailbrenner.com to find out more about her work and you can find her books on Amazon for sure Uh, and just a reminder get your hand on the Strive Method the book 30 days to control alcohol before it controls you for 30 years it will really help you to think about drinking alcohol um, and what it's all about and to help you to um, make some really amazing changes in your life all right and um, so get hold of that. And like I said, email me at thestridemethod at gmail.com and we'll throw $915 worth of free gifts your way. You also, part of that free gift package is a, is a monthly meeting with myself, a group meeting, a book club meeting where we talk about some of these chapters in this book, okay? Um, if you really love the 1000 Days Sober podcast, it would be very, very beneficial to me if you would go to your local podcast player and rate and review it. Uh, email me at thestrivemethod at gmail.com with a testimonial and share it with somebody. You could save somebody's life today. Much love, everybody. Strive on.